A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. More blasted rhetoric from the Banana Republic for people who think capital punishment isn't going nearly far enough. <laughs> Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's take it or leave it day at Tory party conference, ladies and gentlemen. Prime Minister Boris Johnson is preparing to make his speech at conference later this morning. And we'll bring it to you right here live on Talk Radio, of course. And the message to the European Union will be very clear. It's do or die time. Sign up to his deal with a new plan for the Irish backstop or get prepared for Britain to leave without a deal on October the 31st. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the game plan and the game is afoot. Meanwhile, Jacob Rees-Mogg is getting ready to prorogue Parliament again, hopefully this time without the nuisance value of the Supreme Court intervening, and it could happen as soon as this weekend in order to get ready for the planned Queen's speech on October the 14th, a week on Tuesday. Are you, like me, getting the feeling that the Remainers have run out of ideas, they've run out of road and they've run out of time and they just can't stop the leave train? We'll be jumping on that leave train coming up throughout the course of the show this morning. We want to hear from you, of course, 0344 499 1000. Back in the surreal world of the royal family, Harry and Meghan have decided to shoot themselves in the foot once again by suing a newspaper group for, in their words, telling lies about poor little Megs and her relationship with her father. Just when you thought they were learning their lesson about how to operate in the public eye, they've gone and ruined it all. If only they weren't hopelessly wealthy millionaires and they hadn't flown a hairdresser and a fleet of Land Rovers out to Africa and they didn't stop going around everywhere in private jets, we might even have some sympathy. I've got an idea. I'm going to sue Harry and Meghan. I'm going to hire some barristers. I want the money back for their wedding. I want the money back for the cottage changes that they made and the improvements they made to their house in Windsor. I want the money back for their shrubbery that we paid for. I want all the money back for all of the people they flew out, all 13 members of their entourage, out to South Africa. I want the money back for the hairdresser. I want the money back for the fleet of Land Rovers. I want the money back for every single thing that these pair have taken off us as taxpayers because let me tell you this Prince Harry Princess Meghan Markle you too are an absolute disgrace and we don't even want you anymore in this country thanks very much indeed cheerio 0344 499 1000 coming up later on we'll have another highlight from the House of Commons you've guessed it it's Prime Minister's question time this time though with Dominic Raab and wait for it Diane Abbott <laughs> Insert your own jokes here. We'll be bringing it to you live at midday. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, before we go any further, those of you who listen to this show on a regular basis will know that we have the countdown clock to when we get closer and closer or further and further away from ever leaving the European Union. Now, normally speaking, what we do is we go across to the countdown clock and we check out how close we are to leaving the European Union. Every time so far that we've done it, it doesn't seem as if we're any nearer uh, or further away. It just seems to be stuck in a sort of moment in time. I'm going to be asking to have a listen to the countdown clock this morning because I've got a feeling that we are actually moving slightly closer to leaving the European Union. Now, that's definitely the horn, that's definitely the hooter, that's definitely the siren that tells us that the countdown clock 
is being prepared. But is it going any quicker? It is! It's going quicker! I'm not kidding! I think we're getting closer. We'll check in with it a bit later on. It's definitely getting quicker. It's definitely, definitely moving towards October 31st and an all-out deal. Whether we get a deal or not, we are leaving. I think the remainders have run out of road. Let's talk to Katie Perrier, uh, our woman up at the uh, Conservative Party conference. I know that she's probably feeling a little fragile this morning after throwing the big party that she throws every single year, uh, a bit karaoke thrown in. Katie, a very good morning to you. Good morning, Mike. Now, how late were you up last night? Tell us the truth. Uh, about 4. 4am? We had a great karaoke party. Uh, I don't know how you guys do it. At Diageo and who are wonderful. And, um, and then we had a bit of a sing-song around a piano in the bar. Security were not happy. <laughs> well, as long as there wasn't anything uh, remotely uh, suggesting any scandal, I'm sure we'll be fine. Mike, I'm 41 years of age. I don't mean no you, one... necessarily. <laughs> There's I don't no way you. that's going to happen at my party. I'm very well behaved. OK, well, I mean, there was at least one Tory MP kicked out of conference yesterday. We won't go into that. He was in the tent of uh, Common Sense only the other day. He gave me his card. I'd never heard of him before, and now he's in the news all over the place. But that's another story. Do you, like me, think that this morning uh, there is a kind of whiff of victory in the air for Boris Johnson? I think we are ever closer to leaving the European Union. I think that we don't have to wait until the 31st of October because it's quite possibly we're going to know within the next seven to ten days whether or not we're going to get that deal. So lots of people thought that we'd have to go right the way to the wire to know if we're going to get it or not. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think we're going to know very, very shortly. So he's laying down, he's setting down his stool. He's saying to the Tory party members today that, you know, back this deal. We, we're happy to have some tweaks. He's not saying this is, you know, take it or leave it. He's saying, here is our opening offer. We're happy to tweak, tweak it, but we want to go into negotiations and we want to be in a situation where we've looked like we've done the absolute best that we can to leave with a deal. Yeah, and I think he's basically painted everybody into a corner. You know, he's taken all of the kind of the, the steam out of the argument that any of the Remainers have had. They've all kind of shot their bolt collectively. You know, they've had the Supreme Court rule that his prorogation of Parliament was unlawful. He's recovered from that. Uh, they've tried to smear him with all kinds of stuff from the past, which he seems to have ridden over uh, without too much damage done to his personal reputation. They've now tried to stymie him in various different legal uh, cases up and down the country and in Scotland, in Belfast, and Wales, all over the place. You know, none of that has happened to work. And now they've got nothing left, have they? No, I don't think so. And I also think it's been a cracking piece of expectation management at conference mm. this week. We didn't actually think it was going to happen. We didn't think conference was going to take place. So you start from a really low base of, is anyone going to come? Is anyone going to you know, speak to politicians? Uh, you know, is, is it going to be empty around the conference area? So just for the fact that it was packed out and everybody's had a good time means that almost people were saying it's been a brilliant conference when really it's just been a bit unremarkable. But for Boris Johnson, it's been a huge win because, as you say, none of those things about his private life in the past have really had any effect. Uh, the queue is around the block right now for people try trying to get into the conference area hours before the speech to have a glimpse of him. I spoke to some people in the queue earlier and they were saying to me, you know, I said, what, what do you expect from it? What do you think is going to happen? What you, are you hoping for him to say? And their reply was, don't care. Just yeah. want to see Boris. This is the bit that people don't get about Boris Johnson. I was reminded of this when um, I saw the, the, the footage from when he went to Whips Cross Hospital the other day. Do you know when he got confronted by that Labour activist stroke lawyer who was moaning on about how the Tories have destroyed the NHS shortly before the NHS actually saved his own daughter. And it, before any of that happened, Boris arrives at the hospital to cheers, you know, nurses running up to him and grabbing him for a kiss, selfies being taken, people clapping. People love him. They do indeed. I mean, I once said to him, you need to practice your speech, Boris. And he said, no, 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 you're OK. And I said, I, I really believe in speech prep. Oddly, Theresa May was brilliant at speech delivery, except when she had that terrible cough that time. Mm. But um, not very good at the one-to-one, -one, didn't have any personality. Boris Johnson is absolutely oozing personality. But sometimes his speech delivery isn't as good as it could be. And so sometimes I used to say to him, you need to prep. And then he looked at me and I said, you know what? You could moon in front of that crowd and they'd still give you a standing ovation. Yeah, exactly right. So, I mean, has he also kind of come to the conclusion that the, that the end is nigh, not just because he's vanquished his enemies on the opposition side, but also those on the inside of the Tory party? I heard Andrew Bridgen last night on James Wells' show, and I have to say, and I know Andrew quite well, I've never heard a man so sort of deflated and almost defeated. He sounded as though he was at the end of his tether. He sounded as though um, he wasn't really sure what to do next. He, he sounded as though the ERG have been sort of neutered effectively by Jacob Rees-Mogg's admission to the Cabinet. What's your view of that? I think that um, what that signal when he gave uh, the, the 21 Tory rebels the push 
uh, earlier in, in, in the summer or, or just in the, around September time was to say that to the ERG members, I will do the same to you should you not back my deal. So those people voted against me. I got rid of them out of the Conservative Party. Uh, if you vote against this deal, the same thing will happen to you. So several ERG members have been saying to me, you know what, if I don't back this, I'm looking that I might be fired and I'm going to be fired, you know, possibly several weeks before an election. People were talking about potential election towards the end of November, beginning of December, uh, once this Brexit deal goes through, if it does go through. And they're really worried that it'll be the toast for them. So I reckon it might be enough to get some of them in line. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. Because what he's quite cleverly done, I think, um, is he's kind of catapulted everybody towards what they thought was the cliff edge of no deal. And then he's kind of dramatically yanked them away from it at the last moment and said, well, hang on, what are you going over there for? Look over here, there's a deal. And they now have to kind of go along with it. Yeah, and also I, I think that the strategy is broadly still on track, although they have had some terrible wobbles and it has not gone to plan by any means. They didn't expect the rebels to go. Boris wanted to bring them back because he wanted to soften his kind of stance towards them. Dominic Cummings is kind of the chief you know, wizard inside number 10 said, no, 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 you've got to hold firm, stick with my strategy. So I think it's been really messy, really wobbly and doesn't really leave the Tory party in a good place once this is all over. But Boris Johnson is saying, I've got to do anything I can to get this over the line. Essentially, though, this will probably be Theresa May's deal brought back with a few tweaks and a blonde wig on top. And it's whether or not the Tory party and the rest of the parliament can stomach it. Now, you got some flack over the weekend because you were doing a show here on uh, a talk radio on Friday night. And I saw, I don't know if you saw it, the Express picked it up uh, and called you a Remainer um, DJ, basically, because somebody <laughs> phoned up and gave you a hard time. Now, people have been saying to me on Twitter, what's happened to Katie? She used to be like you. She used to be a, a lever. What's going on? Now, are you in your new guise as a Remainer uh, going to be happy with this deal? Um, I always wanted the deal to be signed. I actually didn't think there was a major problem with the deal. I felt that um, it was a, the best compromise possible and that Theresa May had exhausted all options. But she did what she didn't do is show that she meant it. She didn't show that actually she would turn around at any time and say, I'm willing to walk away. The problem with I, I had with the caller, I think it was Lorraine the other day, is that she was trying to tell me that it's going to be brilliant under a no-deal Brexit, that Britain's going to thrive. And I don't agree with that, Mike. I believe we need a deal. I believe Britain will be OK long term, but I believe it's in the best interest to try and get a deal beforehand. Sure, but isn't it the case that, and I've, I've often said this to you, that whatever happens, whichever way we leave, there will still be negotiations to be had. There will be long into the night and into the next year and into the next five years deals being done. People have described Switzerland's relationship with Europe to me as one which is constantly renegotiating deals. It's basically just an ongoing process. Absolutely. And, you know, you could possibly crash out and two days later come up with a brand new deal because yeah. the Europeans know that we actually meant it. So anything's to play for. What people think, though, is that once we may get through a deal, that would be the end of the talking. That would be the end of talking about Brexit and we can move on to schools and hospitals and things that matter. The truth is we're going to be talking about this for the next five years. I've got to tell you, Mike, I'm witnessing James Cleverly, the Conservative Party chairman, going through the crowd today, um, in right in front of me, live, shaking the hands of every person that's standing in the queue that's been here for over an hour waiting to get in to see Boris. It's a really nice touch, actually. People are really loving mm. seeing him. Are you seeing a change in the way the party's being put together now? Because if you were there during the Theresa May years, of course, uh, you were there at conference when Theresa May had those terrible moments where the letters fell off the wall, she lost her voice, you know, the character turned up and handed her a P45 and all that. You know, is the Tory party getting back to being... Um, a party for all Tories, all Conservatives, because there was talk before conference that it was becoming this kind of rather um, sort of minuscule, uh, one-sided party that was almost a faction of Conservatism. No, I think we've got some way to go, actually. I think that under David Cameron, the, the party came together and tried to govern the country in a kind of united way that said that we can bring together all different parts of the, of the party and the country. And the one broad thing that I really loved about the Conservative Party and why I've been a member for 20 years is that it's that broad umbrella. You can have a home for those that are quite far on the right and you can have a home for those that are quite centre to the left. Uh, supportive of politicians and the political parties. So I think that that is a worry. And I worry that after this deal, after we move on from Brexit, the party will be split just in the way that the country is split and that you need something quite unique to be able to bring it back together again. And I'm not sure they've got that far yet. All concentration, understandably, is getting over the line. But I think it does leave a very divided, kind of bitter, mm. angry Tory party and electorate afterwards. And what do we do about the 21 people that were kicked out, people like Dominic Grieve and David Gork and others who have all been up at the, the conference, still making the same noises effectively, not suggesting for a moment that they're going to come back under the wing of the Tory party and they're going to behave themselves? What's going to happen to them? 
I don't think they will probably go back into the Conservative Party. But one thing that does annoy me about this situation is that they, most of them, the majority of those people, not all, but the majority of those people voted for a deal three times. And so to turn around and say they didn't want Brexit or they are trying to prevent Brexit from happening when they voted for Theresa May's deal, it's just wrong. And so I just think that they have probably been treated a little bit unfairly. I would like to keep them in the umbrella, but I'm not running down the street ops and I don't know exactly mm. how we can, you know... They did buy them. Yeah, but hang on, it. they did also to betray the Prime Minister of the day. I mean, it's not the same as people who voted against Theresa May's deal. What they physically did and actively did was to hand power away from the government to the opposition benches and the European Union. Union, which is and a far more heinous crime to me than saying, look, I don't really like this deal, I'm not voting for it. And I understand that, but if the ERG members do exactly the same in the next few days, they should be treated exactly the same. It cannot be one rule for one and one, you know, something different for, for another. And I fear that possibly could end up the position. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Okay. Um, I just don't think there's probably a way back into the Conservative Party. Maybe a few of them may stand as independent Conservatives in some key seats mm. uh, and get back into Parliament that way. But uh, it's probably, yeah, probably thinking that. about, yeah, it's been probably thinking it's the end of their political career. Well, I think so. And finally, if there are going to be elections coming up, what's what's being said there? What are you hearing in the sort of the whispering galleries of, of Tory party conference? Is it likely to be November? If this, if this deal does get done, or we do leave without a deal, will there be an election soon? Look, I keep on coming up with all different dates all the way through the <laughs> summer and the autumn about when there might be an election. Yeah. If I had to pick a date, and I'm re really good at uh, uh, predictions, but if I had to pick a date, I would say December the 5th. I'd say December really? the 5th, before, okay. before Christmas, we are looking at election. You probably need four to five weeks to get that election uh, through in terms of the campaigning period, in terms of getting all those candidates in the seats. What I do know is the Conservative Party have had a massive rush in the last week to select candidates in key seats across mm. Britain. So they are obviously gearing up and wanting, you know, there's no point calling an election if you don't have a candidate in a particular seat. So they're desperately... Uh, trying to rush through those seats and get those people in ready to campaigning. But the leaflets are being printed as we speak. They're on standby. We don't know whether it's going to be before Christmas or after Christmas. But in the short term, let me tell you, Mike, an election is coming. And what about your karaoke song? Tell us what it is. Listen, I don't, I'm a shouter from the crowd. <laughs> uh, I don't go on the I stage. see you as a sort of Dancing Queen style song, an ABBA song. Well, my favourite favourite is Faith by George Michael, and I think in is the it? political climate, um, we can't think of it a better song. But there were some crackers last night. Some of the journalists got up, some of the politicians got up, and I stood at the back, nursing a gin and tonic, thinking, thank God this party went off with a bang. Yeah, absolutely right, as it always does with Boris Johnson. Thanks very much indeed. Katie Perrier, uh, bravely showing herself in front of uh, all people at the talk radio stand-up at uh, Manchester Tory Party Conference after having only had probably about four hours sleep. Quite a remarkable performance. Well done, Katie. Uh, we've got some George Michael coming up for you a little bit later on. Uh, but also, uh, we're going to be joining the Leave train as well. Now that we think, actually, that the game has been won by Boris Johnson, I think it's going to be a very interesting day indeed. We want to hear from you, though. 0344 499 1000. You are the people that we care about. You are the people that make this show. You are the people whose views we want to publish and publicise out there. So get on the phone, call me now, uh, and we'll talk to you very, very soon. 0344 499 1000. This is Talk Radio. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Across the UK, online and on DAB. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, just imagine being a part of the royal family, being part of absolute and utter privilege, being able to live in the grounds of Windsor Castle, uh, in a cottage which is more like a mansion with ten bedrooms, uh, with all sorts of fantastic shrubbery, costing something like £30,000 in the garden. Then imagine getting that paid for by the taxpayer. Imagine having your wedding security paid for by the taxpayer. Imagine uh, being able to invite George Clooney, Bex, Posh, all sorts of people like Oprah Winfrey, fly them all in. Imagine being able to go to South Africa uh, and take 13 people with you in an entourage and fly some Range Rovers over as well. Now, imagine if you then turned around and said, actually, we're going to fly down to see Elton John on a private jet. Um, after that, we're going to go to a party uh, in Ibiza. After that, we're going to go to a wedding in Rome. We're going to fly there on a private jet as well. And after that, I think what we might do uh, is tell a few lies about when our child was going to be born... Um, mislead people about the time that that child was born and even the place that that child was born. And imagine then having the gall not only to take the public money which has been provided and to then in some way absolutely and utterly refute the public's interest in what it is that you do and how you live your life. And then, having pretty much kicked your father out of your life, use him as some kind of punch bag to publicise your own heartache. If you made that story up, people wouldn't believe it was true. But I'm afraid that is the story of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Let's talk to Neil Wallace, who is media consultant, former newspaper editor, of course, knows a thing or two about being sued by celebrities. Neil, a very good morning to you. That was a bit rude, wasn't it? Sued what? by celebrities. You're, what, you're going to tell me you've never by... been sued by I'm celebrities? Many... I've been e- I'm an equal opportunity uh, <laughs> sewer. Yes. Well, I've actually <laughs> I've been decided. Sued by everybody. I've actually decided, Neil, and you may wish to join me in a class action lawsuit. I want to sue Harry and Meghan for all the money they've cost us, for all the heartache they've cost me, and for all the misleading things that they promised my t- my children. They've stolen my children's future by pretending <laughs> that the earth is burning and we're all going to die from some ecological nightmare. <clears throat> While they fly, the- fly their private jets. Yeah. I mean, it's a, I mean, if, if it wasn't so tragic, this story, I'd be laughing my head off. Well, it, it, the, one of the papers at the weekend, in fact, ironically, it was the Mail on Sunday, had a huge piece at the weekend about their, uh, their new team of advisors. Oh, yeah. And saying what a great job they had done on Africa. And then, uh, just as they're about to come home, they throw this into yeah. the mix. Well, they just, just must when, be nuts. I know. Well, just when their rehabilitation was actually going quite well because they were in a pretty bad place before they went to Africa. But Absolutely. A, but a few nice... And deserved. Yes, and quite rightly so. Misleading, misleading the public, lying, and I, and I use that word advisedly, about the birth of their child, lying about the pictures that they were going to give out, uh, you know, telling untruths about who actually delivered the child, where she was, when she went into labour. All of that was a lie, Right. They go to Africa, he walks through the Diana minefield and gets a lot of sympathy. She holds some very undernourished-looking children and goes to a mosque or two, and they suddenly look like St uh, Greta, and now they've screwed it all up again. Well, I, I have to say I thought they did a great job in Africa. Um, I thought it was, at last, I thought, uh, they are doing the right thing mm. instead of jetting around on uh, private jets to give talks about uh, climate change to a load of other billionaires and uh, uh, industry bigwigs uh, in, I think it was Sardinia or Sicily, wherever it was. Um, and I thought it was a great job. And then probably as a result of this mad, mad decision to suddenly launch this uh, court case, um, it comes out, well, actually, they also flew out a fleet of 
uh, Land Rovers to Africa. What, there's no Land Rovers or Range Rovers in Africa? Well, I mean, you uh, know, trust, call me old-fashioned, if you can't get yourself a Land Rover, you know, maybe a Toyota Land Cruiser would be OK. It's all right for the yeah. United Nations. They use them all over the world. Now, what they're going to say, Mike, is these, these were special security-equipped um, Oh, what they, need to put, what, they need to put the hairdresser in a bulletproof car, do they? Well, it's the same kind... It'll, but the truth pertains, doesn't it? that there will be those vehicles in Africa, particularly in Africa. But, you know, what, what I think there needs to be um, the extraordinary letter, which was full of American jargon, in, incidentally, I thought. Um, but this, what is interesting to note is that this letter was written uh, in uh, 2018, over a year ago. It never appeared until February this year. So it was kept private for about at least nine months or so. Yeah. So why did it get why did it end up in the mail on Sunday? Well frankly you and I both know because we have a history of tabloid newspapers. Meghan Markle's father uh, basically gave it, sold it probably, to the mail on Sunday, directly as a response to a very carefully coordinated a PR job that appeared, I think it was in Vanity Fair mm. or in another American magazine by Meghan's friends, all saying how wonderful she was and how badly she was being treated and how awful it was the way the father was looking mm. out. So he went public as a direct response to that. Now, that's the truth about how this letter finally found itself into the yes. public arena. His defence, if you like, and of also, saying how badly he'd been treated. Yeah. Now, sorry, just to finish, finish off. So why is it that in this appeared in February and it's now October? So why did they wait to eight months? Right. I suspect it may be a thought to themselves, well, hang on, we, we just had a PR victory in Africa. Let's fill our boots and let's try to yeah. cash in on that. More cynicism, I'm afraid. Well, I'm afraid so. The Mail on Sunday statement says they stand by the story. Uh, they will be defending the case vigorously and they categorically deny that the Duchess's letter was edited in any way that changed its meaning. Now, this is a woman who didn't invite her own father to her wedding. This is a woman who, when her sister turned up at Kensington Palace in a wheelchair demanding to see her, she was basically shown the door and more or less kicked out of London and told never to darken the door again. I mean, this is a woman who has had a history of using people, uh, of dropping people when they cease to become of any use to her, of ghosting friends once she's moved on to the next thing. I mean, it's absolutely hideous and ridiculous uh, that she and should be able to also put out a statement saying that they're going to go after the men on Sunday for telling lies. They haven't even been specific about these so-called lies. Which lies is she talking about? Well, uh, again, when you actually read, I reread the original Mail on Sunday article this morning, mm. uh, which carried vast chunks of this letter. And it is a very uh, hurtful letter to her father. I quite accept that Meghan may have been hurt, hurt by some of the things her father has said that her family have done. But conciliatory letter, it was not. It was full of accusations and bitterness and anger. And, you know, it, what amazed me, really, is the fact that it was kept under, under wraps for so long until she decided to do a huge, organise a huge poor me PR campaign in that American magazine. Mm. And without wishing to give away too many secrets of our former trade, Neil, um, it's rather unwise, is it not, for somebody in their position, uh, or a couple in their position, to take on the, a newspaper group like Associated Newspapers? Because Associated Newspapers don't really need a reason to go after them. But let's put it this way, um, if they have a choice to make, and maybe they've already got stories about them that they haven't published, but maybe somehow those stories will now come out. Well, I... I I don't know whether that will happen, but I do think that uh, this was a most unwise decision. Yeah. Um, I noticed that, uh, that, as far as I can see, they have changed the legal firm that the royals usually use. I wonder, maybe because others had been counselling more, uh, more caution, shall we say. Mm. Um, Shillings is a well-known and very... 
uh, aggressive, litigious uh, company uh, in the public arena, in the media. And uh, maybe that have been wiser to have stuck with more cautious heads. Because yes. this is very, very unwise indeed. It really is. And how do you think it's going to end up? Because in the end, if they don't win this hands down, and I don't think they will... It's going to look very bad for them, and there's going to be egg all over their faces, not to say uh, it's going to cost them a pretty penny as well, which they say they're going to fund themselves. Yes, well, when, when they say they're going to fund it themselves, they're going to fund it presumably from inherited money. Um, yes. You know, the, the, the typical source of uh, income, which ultimately, really, I'm afraid, is, is the British citizen. Um, no, I don't think they'll succeed either because I can't really see the basis of what this has brought. This is a PR campaign. I, I'm really, really sorry that uh, Harry has got himself caught up in this sort of self-justifying, self-pitying yeah. attitude whereby anything he does is uh, misunderstood and wrongly uh, presented because you know he's a he's a guy most of the British public have had a huge amount of time for. They used and, to have, I think, is probably the right way to put that. Well, th that's a really sad thing, isn't it? That um, you know he uh, he is finding himself in this position, and you have to say there is this continued wailing about security, mm. uh, etc. Well, his brother is going to be the next but one king of England. His brother's children are going to be future monarchs. Mm. They uh, don't have to travel everywhere by private jet, do they? No. Only the other week, him and Kate and the kids got an easy jet, I think it was. Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, so why are their security issues less than Harry and... Uh, soap actress Megan. <laughs> well, I've had two tweets during our conversation, one of which says, a quick Google, and I've found loads of armoured cars, armour-protected um, cars that you can rent in South Africa, uh, so you didn't have to fly anything over at all. And my favourite from Graham in Bushy, will Megan's father be called as a witness? At least he finally get to meet Harry and the baby. Well, do you know what? That's a good point, isn't it? Because he could be called yeah. as a witness, and that could be really, really backfire on them. Uh, absolutely. Can you imagine... Well, incidentally, this this is the sort of thing that, uh, ironically, doesn't do bad for the for newspaper well, circulations either to get sued like this because people. My, my lady was simply staggered this morning when she read this. Yeah. She immediately went online to read the original letter. She was fulminating how they could be waste, wasting time and public money and energy on causing a great row yeah. like this. I know. Stack, it's brilliant stuff, isn't it? I wouldn't be at all surprised the men on Sunday may have their Los Angeles correspondents sitting with Megan's dad, even as we speak. 0344 499 1000. Neil Wallace, thank you very much indeed. We've got to run. We're up against the clock because the time is ticking away and we're getting closer to Brexit. I'm not joking. This is Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, apparently, if you're a diabetic, diabetes pills are on the uh, uh, on the short supply. Uh, diet painkillers are running out. Contraceptives are running out, rather unfortunately, for those of you who are trying to do a bit of family planning. Uh, but this is nothing to do with Brexit, right? Apparently, NHS prices uh, are now targeting more lucrative markets. So the bosses of, 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 of the people that buy the, the drugs for the NHS uh, have basically made a bit of a blunder. New regulations have driven up costs and made production more complex. Globalisation means the manufacturer of drugs is frequently limited to one site. A problem, for example, at a factory in China or India can have knock-on effects. Now, one of the things that Dr David Bull told me the last time we had him on the show was that actually most of the pharmaceuticals that we have in this country don't come from Europe at all. Many of them come from China, many of them come from India, and they can come from the United States and Brazil and all sorts of other places. Dr Bull, a very good morning to you. Welcome back. A very good morning to you, Mike. Now, I remember you and I having this conversation before when we were talking about all the scaremongering that was going on about Brexit and how we were going to run out of everything, we were going to run out of food, we were going to run out of road, we were going to run out of medicine. Well, it's rather <laughs> ironic, isn't it, that we're already running out of medicine and we haven't even left Europe yet. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is absolutely right. You're absolutely correct to highlight the fact that these shortages are nothing to do with Brexit whatsoever. It really is a perfect storm of a number of things. One is actually a lot of regulations that were brought in by the EU that now the uh, pharmaceutical companies have to uh, abide by. Mm. Also, as you say, the globalization. The fact is actually, you know, it's a global trading marketplace. And so drug companies can decide which countries they want to sell to. And of course, they're prioritizing certain lucrative markets. Now, with regards to the NHS. The NHS has set prices with pharmaceutical companies and it may be that many of those pharmaceutical companies just don't see the UK as a market that they want to concentrate on. But, you know, I'm actually speaking to you from Brussels and I spent a lot of time just looking at what is the impact of a no-deal Brexit? Because it looks like the Prime Minister may well be pushing towards having a no-deal. And I've been very, very reassured by the meetings that I've had. Yeah, and also, as far as the European regulations are concerned, would those regulations cease to exist then uh, after Brexit, if we were to, uh, to want them to, to do so? Well, that, there's, a, there's a very complicated answer to that. Essentially, at the moment, we adhere to European Union regulations, but there could be a situation where we have mutual recognition of standards. So the point is that at the moment, the way that drugs are regulated is it's devolved through the 28 member countries. We all adhere to the same guidance, mm. which is overseen. But essentially, we will at some point devolve. But of course, we've got to remember, again, as I said, this is a global marketplace. I think one of the things that no one really has talked about is that the, that the UK actually exports more drugs to Europe than we import from Europe. So if they don't do a deal and if they don't recognize our standards, then patients in Europe will suffer. And that's something that no one is actually talking about at all. It's always, you know, we always talk about, are the medicines going to be available for British people? And I and my colleagues are doing our utmost to ensure that those drugs are there to make sure that people don't miss out on their medication. Right. And what's the immediate sort of cure, if you like, for this particular shortage? What is going to be done to, to, to make sure that the shortage does not continue and does not become a kind of crisis? Well, I mean, this is clearly for the Department of Health to get in touch with the pharmaceutical manufacturers and also to make sure those supply chains are actually intact. I mean, they do have bulk buying uh, with those pharmaceutical companies, but essentially it's putting pressure on those companies to ensure that there is enough stock available in the UK. But, uh, you know, obviously from, from my point of view, I'm just completely concentrating on what happens if and when we leave the EU. Right. Interestingly enough, I'm looking at the story in the Mail today and it says an audit that's seen by the newspaper in August revealed more than half of HRT drugs out of stock, uh, forcing some women, some women to travel abroad as far away as South Africa to buy them. Antidepressants and antipsychotic drugs also in short supply. And the Department of yeah. Health last week told doctors to restrict prescriptions of common antidepressants. Now, that can't be good, can it? No, of course not. And you see that one of the things is, and this is the thing that I actually spoke about in the European Parliament, was that, you know, obviously we're in very fraught political negotiations, but at no point should people be playing with people's lives. No. If you have a chronic long-term condition, you are reliant upon your medicines. And we have to make sure that we get those medicines to you, that you have enough supply. And it's been very interesting talking to some of the, you mentioned insulin, actually. Yeah. I spoke to the insulin uh, manufacturers, and they are already stockpiling medicines. So actually, weirdly, as a result of what, what might happen with a no-deal Brexit, there is enough insulin because they are already stockpiling. Yes. Well, so essentially, what, what we need is actually better planning. Mm. I think the Department of Health needs to come down very firmly on these pharmaceutical companies. But essentially, you know, it, it, it's up to... I think there's a duty of care from the pharmaceutical companies themselves. But isn't the narrative interesting, though? Because I've been looking at a few of the, the sort of what I call the main Romaniac-type Twitter feeds this morning, and not one of them is talking about this story. Not one of them is referring to the fact that, you know, there's a shortage of medicine. Now, these are the same people who almost every other day go on about how there's going to be a shortage of medicine. Well, they've lost their Trump card, haven't they? Yeah. Because they're saying that if you have a no-deal Brexit, there'll be no medicines. Well, right. uh, what's happened right now? Yeah. Um, and actually, I think one of the things is I do believe that we're starting to get traction in the media. You know, the fact is that I've spoken to these huge trade bodies like the European Federation of Pharmaceutical Industries and Associations. They've told me there is a huge amount of no-deal planning that yeah. has been 
uh, taking place, that there are workarounds, the fact that we, uh, we, do, we have mutual recognition of standards. And yesterday I spoke to the NHS Confederation. Now that is the umbrella body for all of the NHS commissioning bodies, the CCGs, the NHS Trust. And I was really, I, I came away from that meeting really sort of buoyant mm. because I was told that robust plans are in place in the event of a no-deal Brexit. Now, clearly, you can't plan for every eventuality. But to hear the NHS Confederation say to me in person, you know, we, we are, you know, I, I'm paraphrasing now, but gently confident that we have got sort of all our ducks in a row. We know that we've got the supply line set up from the government. We know the insulin manufacturers have stockpiled medicines. We know other pharmaceutical companies are stockpiling medicines. We know the pharmaceutical companies in Europe are still keen to trade with us. And the other thing that I would actually just go back to your previous point to say is, and I can't prove this, but given the insecurity around Brexit, if you are a commercial pharmaceutical organization, it might be that you could use the excuse of Brexit to drive up your prices by keeping your stock of drugs and your inventory low. Which might have resulted in this sort of shortfall. That's an Correct. interesting point, isn't it? Because the other thing that I was going to say is, speaking of the narrative that we've had to put up with over the last two or three years, you know, if you are preparing for a no-deal Brexit, therefore uh, you are actually being cautious about the way you're proceeding. You're criticised by the Remainers for obviously knowing that something bad is going to happen. Uh, if you don't prepare, you're then criticised <laughs> for not being prepared for something bad happening. But I get the sense, and I've said this uh, this morning already about Boris Johnson's speech coming up this afternoon, I know that you guys in the Brexit party are not wedded entirely to Boris Johnson. You're not sure that he's going to do what you want him to do. But I've got a, a very big sense right now that the Remain side of the argument has kind of run out of road. They've kind of they've fired all their best shots and none of them have really hit the target. Well, I, well, I mean, I, I hope so. You look, we had the largest ever Democratic vote. 17.4 million people voted to leave and politicians on every side said they respect the result of that referendum. And yet three and a half years later, they're doing everything they can to thwart the will of the people. Mm. Now, um, we are pretty sure what the Prime Minister is going to say in a few hours' time. We're not entirely sure. And I've just been through the detail of, of his plan. It seems incredibly complicated that you're going to have two borders for four years. Mm. Whether or not he can get that deal through will depend on Northern Ireland. It will depend on the DUP. It will also depend... Remember, he doesn't even have a working majority in Parliament. And we've got this sort of cabal, this alliance of Remainers who are just trying to work out every legal means to, to thwart his deal to ensure... I think they're trying to wear us down mm. so that we stay within the European Union for as long as possible so that people say, for goodness sake, I've just had enough. And you guys have, uh, in the Brexit Party, while the sort of conference season has been going on, have been doing a sort of roadshow, if you like, and you've been going to various towns around the country. What are you hearing? What are you sensing? Is your sort of support growing? Are people more fed up? Are they resolve, resolved to a particular sort of uh, resignation about all of it? Yeah, I think what we've seen, you know, and I've been across the country, is that you've seen actually the spirit. The British spirit is alive and well. It has sort of brought people together from across... Uh, the political divide, but also across the social divide. Mm. So you've got people from all walks of life coming to see us. It's turning in, it's, it's really weird. I've never been involved in a political meeting, which almost has the sense of being almost like a rock concert. Yeah. People are frustrated, they're angry, and the only people they see uh, actually doing something that makes a difference is us, it's yeah. the Brexit party. Sure. And we are very clear that we want a clean break Brexit, We've also said to the Prime Minister, look, we'll enter into a non-aggression pact with you. And if you do that, you know, we will stand our candidates down in strong Tory seats. And, and the Brexit Party would make very big gains in what are traditional Labour heartlands. And the Prime Minister would walk away as a hero. He'd managed to get uh, a clean break Brexit through. He'd be hailed a national hero and we'd be done with it. Yeah, we would. And finally, if you've got a patient in front of you saying, you know, I can't get hold of a specific medicine, what kind of choice have they got? I mean, obviously, they might not have the money to go abroad and get the medicine. What, what are they supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, that's a very good point. I mean, it's certainly for life-threatening medicines. I, I, from what I understand, there are supplies there. I think what, we, what those drugs that um, essentially the Department of Health is saying, look, we need to try and limit the prescription of those drugs. They're not life-threatening drugs. Mm. You know, they are drugs, as you say, such as contraception. Now, that doesn't mean that this is acceptable. What, what it would mean that you have a duty of care as a physician to get hold of that drug, and I'm sure that the hospitals and the, um, and the supply chains will go out 
out of their way to ensure that those drugs are delivered. But it just means we need better planning and the Department of Health really need to up their game. Absolutely right. Dr David Bull, thank you so much. Brexit Party MEP for North West England, giving us a very good breakdown of why it is that we apparently are running short of certain medicines in this country, pharmacies barely coping uh, as dozens of popular medicines run short. Hundreds of thousands of patients affected. If you've been affected, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know whether this is a regionally based thing, whether it's happening nationally, whether it's happening in certain chains of pharmacies, because there clearly is a problem with supply and it has nothing to do with Brexit. 0344 499 1000. Got a tweet here from um, Matt who says this. Be careful agreeing with callers like Lorraine. She might be just too far into the no deal scenario for a reasonable lever to support. I've supported Brexit all along and will continue to. And if a deal doesn't come along, I will also support a managed no deal. Well, I think everybody would support a no deal uh, if they were told the truth about it, because it's not really a no deal. Nothing is a no deal because there's always a deal of some kind. As you know, these matters are quite complex. And no matter what deal is agreed, whether it's a completely sort of, you know, all-encompassing, fully functioning deal, it can't be that because you can't possibly cover absolutely everything. But what it will be uh, is a deal that covers some things. So even if it's a no deal, that will still cover some things, as John Redwood told us the other day. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. There were many things I didn't know before Boris Johnson's speech. One of them was that uh, we apparently export Jason Donovan's CDs to North Korea. I had no idea. I hope that's not going to turn out to be like the Isle of Man Kippers, though, because obviously that didn't work out too well. Uh, but I thought it was a great speech. Jerry Hayes is here with me. We'll talk to him in a moment. First, let's talk uh, to Gavin Williamson, Secretary of State for Education. Gavin, uh, very good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good afternoon to you. Uh, very, very entertaining speech, I'd have to say. I mean, I think uh, Communist Cosmonaut was perhaps my favourite. Uh, John Burko and the Kangaroo Testicles, another, another hit. I mean, there wasn't much detail about Brexit. Um, are you disappointed that he didn't say more about how we're going to actually leave the European Union? Well, what he made absolutely clear was the core message. We're going to get Brexit done. That's what people want to see. No one could have been more explicit as to when that's going to be. That's going to be on the 31st of October. And uh, that's what the British people want to hear, as well as what we're doing in terms of our domestic agenda, more police on our streets, making sure that we're investing in the NHS and also making sure... Uh, large amounts of money are going to every single one of our schools, increasing the amount of money that goes to every school in the whole country. I mean, it was a very feel-good moment for the Tory party after some, shall we say, slightly more start, uh, sort of stunted performances from Theresa May. He was very gracious in, in thanking her at the start of the speech. Um, he was. But, it was. but it was a much better, it seemed to me anyway, and you were obviously in the hall, it seemed to me a much, much better audience and a much better reaction because most well, of the time when, when you're hearing a lead a speech you've kind of zoned out after halfway through <laughs> it was certainly you wanted to listen to every single minute of it and that was without any dancing as well mm. and um, um, i heard you know, that I, was banned this year i, I think uh, dancing was completely off the agenda this year but i mean i i think there's sort of a prime minister is one of the few people that could get away with some of the lines as he did uh, but it was absolutely brilliant and actually what it did is it really actually enthused the whole hall. It actually made everyone want to get out there, get the message out there. We're going to deliver Brexit. We're going to continue to put money, uh, more money to every school into the country. Uh, it made us want to get out there, fight an election and make sure that we beat Labour. How close are we, though, to fighting that election? Because we still seem to be now in a kind of parliamentary uh, vacuum. You know, there's nothing going on down there. There's no nothing on the order paper. There's a bit of Prime Minister's questions going on uh, as we speak with Dominic Raab and, and Diane Abbott. Um, but we haven't even gone to that because we're too interested in what Boris Johnson's got to say. So there doesn't well, appear to be much parliamentary action going on. Well, well, the main event was here in Manchester, listening to the Prime Minister, setting out his vision and his ambition for our country. And, and you're absolutely right. Uh, nothing is going on in Parliament. Parliament won't, uh, uh, Parliament won't actually uh, agree to have an election. And this is incredibly frustrating because it shows that the Labour Party, the SNP and the Liberal Democrats just frankly don't trust the British people. Uh, if they can't uh, get behind the Prime Minister in terms of delivering Brexit, well, then they should man up and they should go for an election and let the British people decide. I don't know why they're running scared of them.
Well, I think they're running scared because they know they're not going to win, but, I mean, that's another story. But the pizza wheel of doom and the uh, the Ofsted shutting down of Parliament was a great line, I thought. Um, how do you make anything happen, though, right now? Because we are stuck in this kind of, you know, pizza wheel of doom, for want of a better phrase, uh, where we can't seem to get out of it. Well, I mean, for far too long, you know, Jeremy Corbyn time and time again said he wants an election, he wants an election. He's actually got to man up now. Uh, the Prime Minister's going out, going out to Brussels. He's going to be negotiating hard, deliver a deal um, for the British people. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see what the Labour Party uh, then goes and does uh, uh, in response to that. But if they can't get behind the Prime Minister, go to the country, um, you know, it seems absolutely ridiculous when you're the leader of the opposition and you're not willing to take up the opportunity to take your fight to the country. What is he doing? Why is he running scared? Why don't Labour MPs actually say, let's give the British people a choice? If they think they've got the agenda that the British people want, they should give the British people the chance to say, um, you know, whether they want it or not. So can you confirm then, as a, as a member of the Cabinet, that Boris Johnson and his team of negotiators are going to go out to Brussels this week, next week? When are they going? Well, uh, we got the European Council coming up very shortly. The work's already been done over the last sort of few weeks. As soon as he entered number 10, he's been negotiating hard, doing everything that he can do to deliver the very best deal for Britain. Well, Brussels uh, say that he hasn't been negotiating hard at all, though. Well, I, I've been seeing, ever since I've been working with Boris, I know that his key priority is to negotiate the very best deal that he can do for Britain and to bring that back. And we always see with the European Union, they always want to talk pour cold water over everything. It's part of a negotiation. And any negotiation is a tough one. But this is a Prime Minister that will deliver Brexit. He'll deliver Brexit on the 31st of October. Uh, so often politicians are criticised for not giving a clear answer. No one could be clearer than the Prime Minister. He said, we are going to be out on the 31st of October and he's going to deliver that for the British people. And what about the prorogation, possibly once again, that we're hearing this morning from um, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, possibly asking for it before the end of this week, maybe certainly by Tuesday of next week, so that you can prepare for the Queen's speech on the 14th? Well, having sort of been in Parliament for a few years now and being a former Chief Whip, it's quite normal to uh, ask for Parliament to be prorogued. It has to be some things that are done for Parliament before um, before everything is ready, make sure that everything's ready for the Queen. Uh, but as you pointed out, not an awful lot is going on uh, in Parliament at the moment. Uh, it was a political point by opposition parties who frankly have got nothing to say. They just wanted to stop Brexit full stop. That's not what the British people want. They didn't vote for, um, you know, to remain in the European Union. They voted to leave. That's what the Prime Minister is going to be focused on delivering. And what happens uh, after conference today then? Pack up uh, Manchester, come back to London. Do you expect to be in the chamber tomorrow? Well, I, I'm, I'm going to go out campaigning, actually, make sure that when we fight that general election, we're going to win that general election. And what about when you're asked how are we going to actually leave the European Union? How is that going to happen? How are you going to answer that question? Well, the Prime Minister is going to, I, I have every confidence, is going to got a very good chance of coming back with a, a great deal. Uh, I very much hope that if he does that, Parliament supports it. And if he doesn't, uh, doesn't support it, we're going to get out on the 31st of October. OK, I'm just being told Dominic Raab has just said proposals sent to Brussels will be published later today. So I guess uh, we won't have to wait too much longer to find out. And the anticipation is building. I can sense it. Yeah, well, I can sense it too. Listen, thank you very much indeed. Gavin Williams from Secretary of State for Education uh, telling us uh, that he's out campaigning tomorrow. Breaking news, I can tell you, Dominic Raab says proposals sent to Brussels will be published later today. So there you go. So there you are saying that, you know, Boris Johnson is not giving us any indication. But he that's didn't. why. But he didn't. But that's why, though, because he's already sent the, 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 the proposals to Brussels and they're going to be published here later today. Splendid. But let's see news? what he has. It's very good news. But they all Aren't say... You pleased? Oh, I'm delighted. Mm. Uh, ecstatic. Yeah, I thought you were. <laughs> I can tell. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But at the end of the day, no one can tell us how we get out on the 31st if we don't have a deal. No one can say. No one can, but we'll know more this afternoon and you'll find out more on Talk Radio right here. Jerry Hayes is with me. We'll get more from him. We'll more from you as well. 0344 499 1000. I told you, we're in the home straight, guys. The Ramonas have lost. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. 
If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.